0: Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. We are Karen and Kathy, your hosts for this podcast. Our website, chasingdramas.com, is now live with info on the podcast, so please check it out. Please let us know if you have any feedback on our website or email us at Karen and Kathy at chasingdramas.com. We've been zooming through the last couple of episodes uh, of the drama in an effort to get to the more interesting episodes, but now we have to slow down. Today we are going to be discussing episode 54 of Empresses in the Palace, Hong Kong Jin Huan Zhuan. This episode revolves around our main character Jin Huan's plans to get back into the imperial palace as a concubine of the emperor Yongzheng. Her main motivations are to 1, provide much-needed medical attention for her ailing father who is exiled to Ninguta, and 2, to provide a title for her child who is the child of her lover, the 17th prince. She can only do this as a concubine in the palace because as we found out in the last episode, the 17th prince has heartbreakingly passed away. To solve for her immediate problems, Jin Huan planned for the Emperor to come see her in an effort to trick him into thinking that he's the father of her unborn child. With all of that planning in episode 53, the efforts pay off. Su Peisheng, the Emperor's head eunuch, comes to visit Jin Huan after she successfully lures the Emperor to visit her at the nunnery. The Emperor was so moved by her current state that they immediately closed the doors and had um an intimate afternoon. It's been about a month since the Emperor's first visit. Apparently he's been over a lot now. The eunuch Su Sheng, arrives to present some gifts, etc, and Jin Huan puts on a show of uh, pregnancy symptoms. Su Peisheng doesn't miss a beat and realizes that Jin Huan is pregnant. He's very pleased because obviously. He thinks this child is the emperor's. Su Peisheng says that they must have Jinhuan Huan come back to the palace because her child has to be documented in the family tree book or presented with a zong shi yu die. We'll talk about this in the analysis. He plans with Jinhuan Huan and her maids to ask the imperial doctor Wen Shichu to care for her pregnancy because the emperor trusts his abilities and because Jin Huan knows Wen Xu Chu, honestly, I right now am surprised that no one has found out about Wen Xu Chu's relationship with Jin Huan or the fact that they're childhood friends. I mean, they use him all the time, so that is somewhat suspicious to me. Jin Huan has many reasons for keeping this pregnancy a secret at the moment, but the one she gives to Su Pei Sheng is that her status is a little awkward. News of a pregnancy would not fly in the imperial harem or Gong right now, especially if the mother is a dismissed concubine. Well, with that, the plan to cuckold the emperor goes smoothly. Su Pei is such a great guy to have on your side. He looks out for you. He treats you with respect. So if you treat him with respect, provide him with a partner, he's the best ally you can have. Su Peisheng notifies Wen Shichu of his new responsibilities, namely to care for Jin Huan who is pregnant, which confuses him greatly. Wen Shichu heads off to see Jin Huan to discover the truth. He doesn't understand why Su Peisheng would help Jin Huan's child who is so clearly not the emperor's. When Wen Shichu speaks to Jin Huan, Jin Huan informs Wen Shichu that the emperor, Huang Shang, believes her child is his. Wen Chu is like, how did this happen? I'm sure internally he's mad that he was supposed to be next in line, but got usurped by both the 17th prince and now by the emperor again. <laughs> but Jin Huan tearfully explains her predicament and asks him to help her return to the palace. To do so, he has to fool the emperor of her condition as well, or her true pregnancy. I feel like Chen Huan treats Wen Shi Chu rather poorly here. She keeps calling him Shi Chu Gogo, her childhood nickname for him, to help him see her side. Of course, he'll help her. I think that she is totally abusing his affections for her. Usually, when she doesn't need something from him, she says, 问大人, and now she does and says, Gogo. Nah. The doctor reports to the emperor that Jin Huan's pregnancy is not stable, so the emperor cannot spend um, more intimate time with her. That should prevent the emperor from noticing any discrepancies with her pregnancy. Also, can we just admire that these Chinese doctors can accurately predict When someone is pregnant after just one month, kudos to him. It's most likely for plot purposes, but hey, he has the skill to know these things. That's why he's an imperial doctor. I'm not a medical expert, but I feel like this is rather suspect. The emperor is beyond pleased to hear that Jin Huan is pregnant. He goes to visit her and plans how to bring her back to the palace. Just as they are planning her return, the empress in the palace finds out about Jin Huan's pregnancy. She and her posse are furious that this happened. The ladies desperately do not want Jin Huan to come back to the palace. Why would they? It would jeopardize their power in the palace. They have to come up with a plan to prevent her from returning. As the ladies are plotting, Jin Huan has to resolve another issue on her end. The 17th prince's mother, who has also decided to leave the palace and become a nun several years ago, is distraught over hearing about her son's death. Jin Huan heads over to comfort her. She wears clothes of mourning, which in Chinese culture is traditionally white and black. More white than black. I actually quite like this outfit. It's very clean. The mother is understandably sad over her son's death. Jin Huan is able to cheer her up somewhat by telling her about her grandchild. This does the trick, and the 17th prince's mother is ready to eat food that she's been neglecting. But Jin Huan has to break the rest of the story to the 17th prince's mother. When she does, the 17th prince's mother is also understandably shocked and angered. How could Jin Huan take her grandson away to be raised as someone else's child? Jin Huan once again has to tearfully share her difficulties and predicament. She ensures the 17th prince's mother that she loves the 17th prince, but has to take this step in order to enact revenge for the 17th prince. Thankfully, the mother comes around. She, having been a concubine, understands the difficulties of being a woman in that time period and accepts what's happened. With the 17th prince's mother's acceptance on Jin Huan's side, pretty much all loose ends are tied up. She just needs to get back to the palace. But that won't be too easy The empress Huang Ho has come up with a plan to prevent Jin Huan's return. She plots to have several unlucky events happen to both her and the Empress Dowager Tai Ho. For her, the Empress Huang Ho, she sprains her ankle and the incense she's burning while praying breaks twice. For the Empress Dowager Tai Ho, her palace catches on fire when she has a ritual happening there. All of this was to nudge the Emperor into seeing a member of Qingtianjian or the Astronomical Bureau. It'll be the imperial astronomer that halts Jin Huan's return to the palace. We've mentioned this slightly before when we were talking about the general Niang Gong but Chinese people were historically very superstitious and looked to the stars for signs to follow. The imperial astronomer, in very fancy language, states that a harmful constellation is now bright. This mansion, actually, is called Wei Yue Yan. This mansion is nearing the moon and will cause misfortunes to those represented by the moon. Furthering with this fancy language, the astronomer says that the cause of the misfortune originates from the north, a peak, a woman who is pregnant, someone outside the palace but getting closer. This person, or this woman, will harm both the empress and empress dowager. Hmm, who could that be? Quite obviously, this person is Jin Huan. The emperor hears this and, wanting to protect the empress and empress dowager, and also believing in all this, halts Jin Huan's return to the palace. We will talk about some of the astronomy that Chinese people followed, but... A lot of this, well, actually only a little bit of this, was tailored for this scene. From this, it's pretty clear that all of this astronomy, astrology, was plotted by the Empress. If you look at Su Peisheng's reaction throughout the scene, he knows something is up. He promptly tells Jin Huan's maid about this development, and Jin Huan is not surprised about this. But there's not a lot that she can do right now. She needs to sit tight and wait until she can figure out how to combat this or how to um, move past this little obstacle. This, though, is a stroke of genius on the Empress's part. It's hard for the Emperor, who is rather superstitious, to deny what the Imperial astronomer says is harmful, particularly to his mother. You'll also notice that even though the Empress Dowager's palace caught on fire, the fire was small and didn't do a whole lot of damage. The Empress, who is most definitely behind this, only wanted her and the Empress Dowager to suffer slightly in order to nudge the Emperor's suspicion. He'll listen to this astronomer instead of listening to her. If she says she doesn't want Jin Huan to come back, the Emperor will dislike her, the Empress. He can't dislike her if the astronomer says Jin Huan can't come back. The problem with the Empress, Huang Ho, is that she doesn't know when to stop. Jin Huan would have been stuck at the mountain peak if the Empress didn't decide that she needed to solve all of her problems in the Imperial Palace. She had already killed the third prince's mother and now has sole ownership of the third prince, the presumptuous heir to the throne. She's successfully prevented Jin Quan from returning to the palace. What else? Her next target is the fourth prince. The fourth prince, we've seen in previous episodes, is the unfavored son of the emperor. He is now grown and poses a threat to the third prince's claim to the throne. So what does the empress do? Try to poison and kill the fourth prince. Luckily, one of his maids ate the bowl of poison soup instead of him. She died on the spot. The fourth prince bolts out of his uh, his palace, frightened by what happens. Fortunately for him, he runs straight into Shen Meizhuang's place. which right now is Sui Yixuan where Jin Huan used to reside. Shimidrong is best friends with Jin Huan and is very kind. She takes the fourth prince to the empress dowager's palace. They calm the fourth prince down and ponder upon who wants to harm him. The empress dowager, Tai Ho knows exactly who did this. It has to be the empress. The Empress Dowager is frustrated because she's warned the Empress numerous times that she needs to stop her actions, but the Empress has not listened. There isn't anyone in the palace who can counteract the Empress or stop the Empress. So who might be an option? Of course, it's Jin Huan. The Empress Dowager orders the Emperor to come see her the very next day. What does she have to say to him? We'll find out in the next episode. Well, that was our recap for episode 54. Let's get on with the analysis. What do we have to talk about today? First is about the Zongshi Yujie. This is the historical archive or the imperial genealogy that tracks all of the family members of the royal family. Su Peisheng, the emperor's main eunuch, mentions that Qin Huan's child has to be documented in the Zong Yu Yudie as an official child of the emperor's. The child can't just be left off wandering outside without a title. This is kind of a throwaway line in this episode, but it's also quite interesting. For those of you who have watched the popular drama Lang Bang or Nirvana in Fire, one of my favorites, there is a storyline where Jing Wang, a prince, mentions that the orphan son of his brother cannot be recognized as a royal because that son was not documented in the Yu Die or imperial genealogy. Therefore, the best this prince can do for his nephew is raise him as a godchild, or in Chinese, it would be called yizi, to give him at least some of the comforts he would have had as a royal. I feel like that was the first time I paid attention to what yu yudian means, so I am pleasantly surprised that this is mentioned in Jin Huan Zhuan. I haven't paid attention to it previously, probably because I generally skip these episodes when I do my rewatches. This yu die, which more or less translates to jade record, has been documenting the imperial household's family tree since as far back as the Tang Dynasty, and perhaps even earlier. In the Song Dynasty, the process is to update this genealogy every 10 years. This process has been maintained for centuries all the way up until 1921, which is even after the fall of the Qing Dynasty. The documented changes include marriage, births, deaths, promotions, demotions, and the Qing Dynasty, your banner, your title, among other changes. I think of it as kind of a more detailed census report before the imperial family. There are similar genealogies for family clans all throughout China, but of course not as official or grand since we are talking about the imperial royal family here. I thought this was really interesting. In the Qing Dynasty, starting from Shunzhi, the first emperor to rule China proper, and the grandfather of the current emperor of this drama, the imperial genealogy or this Yu Dia has been updated 26 times, an additional two times after the fall of the Qing Dynasty. They are written in two versions, one in Chinese and the other in Manchu. The last update of this yu dia included over 1,000 booklets to document the family tree. This genealogy is the best preserved genealogy in China and is currently stored in the first historical archives in Beijing. That, no matter how you slice it, is very impressive. Next, let's dive into another topic that is very complex, Chinese astronomy. The empress in this episode cleverly uses the Astronomical Bureau, or Qingtianjian, to dissuade the emperor from summoning Huan back into the palace. Astronomy has had a long and colorful history in China dating back to ancient times. There were various iterations of an Astronomical Bureau throughout history, such as Taishilin, Yuan, and Sitianjian. The name was changed to Qingtianjian in the Ming Dynasty and was still used in the Qing Dynasty. You can think of Qingtianjian as something equivalent to the National Observatory. It had many important roles including setting the calendar, observing celestial events or phenomena, and predicting the solar terms. The science and technology used to develop these calendars were quite impressive. Surprisingly, astronomy is one area of study where there was heavy Western influence beginning in the 17th century for both the Ming and Qing dynasties. There were several notable Jesuit missionaries that led the Astronomical Bureau. They include the German Jesuit Johann Adam Schall von Bell, or his Mandarin name Tang Ruo Wang, and the Flemish Jesuit Ferdinand Verbiest, or Nan Huai Ren. These two helped modify the Chinese calendar to be more accurate. Von Bell is quite commonly portrayed in TV shows about the reign of Emperor Shunzhi During the Qing dynasty, Um, There were Han members, Manchu members, and Western missionaries that led the Bureau and the Beijing Ancient Observatory. Of course, the information that Xing Tianjian provided was also used for astrological divination. Most of the time, astronomy is used for useful purposes, such as creating a calendar. But in other situations, like the one we see here in the show, it's quite easy to use this information to... So fear and uh, suspicion for the likes of the emperor. I'm definitely no expert on this, so let's dive into what the imperial astronomer says. He has observed Bei Beifang Wu, or the Black Tortoise, one of the four symbols of the Chinese constellations. The various names of Chinese constellations, have roots in Taoism and Chinese legends. Of the seven astrological mansions within the Black Tortoise, one mansion is different. The one specifically called out in the show is Wei. The literal translation of Wei means danger, but the mansion definition is actually rooftop. Roof means top or tall, and tall represents risks. Hence why this mansion is unlucky or dangerous. Based on what I've read, this Wei mansion usually does not shine brightly in the sky. The imperial astronomer here says this mansion is suddenly shining brightly. The full name used is Wei Yue Yan. I'll need somebody to completely explain Wei Yue Yan to me, but Yue means moon and usually represents a female. The quote-unquote top females in the land of or in the palace, are the Empress Dowager and the Empress. Note here, the Empress Dowager is higher, of higher status than the Empress. This Wei mansion currently has a small tail, which, according to the Imperial Astronomer, represents a pregnant woman living in the north. As we said earlier, this woman will be dangerous to the two top women in the palace, namely the Empress Dowager and Empress. This, I must say, is quite a convincing argument. I did some basic research and it is true that Wei Yue Yan is seen as unlucky and everything used to describe Wei, the mansion Wei, is actually exactly as stated here in this drama. Wei means tall or gao and gao in this context represents risk. Like I said, most everything about this uh, is pretty accurate. But definitely they fudge, like, for example, um, that whole end part about the, the woman being pregnant. I think it's easier to just find something for this explanation. Chinese people very much believed in astronomy and astrological divination. My grandma still looks at the lunar calendar to mark some unlucky days. So there's still power in, in all of this. That's why it's no surprise that the emperor who is very suspicious, calls off his plan to bring Jin Huan back into the palace. Well, hopefully you aren't overly confused by what Kathy was just explaining. This does seem to be a rather dense and confusing topic. That is it for today's episode. Jin Huan's plans to return to the palace is temporarily foiled by the Empress, but it seems like the Empress Dowager has had enough of it. So, what's going to happen in the next episode? Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, email us at Karen and Kathy at com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are thinking of funny memes to, to post on social media. But otherwise, have a great rest of your week.